Hello and welcome to another episode of District Fray Radio. As always, I'm your host, Trent Johnson, the deputy editor of District Fray Magazine, a great magazine here in the D.C. area. And once again, I am joined by our assistant editor, M.K. Kaziki. M.K., how's everything going with you? Hello. Good. Excited that it is Friday. It is a Friday. Um, we are coming to you live again on a Friday. Well, not really live. You know, it's a podcast, but whatever. You, you get the gist. Um, and today is a special, I don't want to say a special edition because I feel like this is probably what we're going to end up doing more so going forward. But it is another interview, but this one was not led by me. It was led by you. So why don't you tell the people what they are in for? Yeah. Um, so I spoke with Jenny Billfield, who's the president and CEO of Washington Performing Arts. Um, we, we covered a lot of ground. Um, they're a super unique organization in that they don't have um, like an actual physical performance space. They use everything from parks to schools to, you know, larger performing spaces, uh, you know, throughout the city that aren't necessarily like belonging to them. Um, it's a really cool model and way to like get other artists involved um, and to get the community involved. They have a lot of really great education programs that Jenny went into uh, detail on. And then we also talked about the role that the arts play in anti-racism work and their um, continued commitment um, to, you know, showing diverse audience, uh, you know, representing their audience in a diverse way, um, showing, you know, what the city actually looks like and and being a voice for that. So it was a really cool, really timely conversation. Um, Excited for you all to give it a listen. Okay, uh, before we get into the interview, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what kinds of things the WPA are doing right now? Yeah, so obviously because of the pandemic, even though they utilize a bunch of different spaces, they can't do that right now. So they have a ton of amazing online programming um, that you can access uh, online on their website. There are some really great performances um, by like violinists and gospel choirs and um, chamber musicians and brass bands and just, you know, lots of inspiration and lots of, you know, discovery uh, you know, musically and locally online that you can you can scroll through right now. Um, and they're also hosting occasionally some live uh, performances on their Facebook page. So definitely be sure to check out Washington Performing Arts on Facebook. Um, and I know that our staff writer, uh, Kelsey Cochran, will be speaking to Jenny again about the upcoming, um, they're not quite calling it a season, they're reworking it, um, what that will look like for the 2020-2021 season, because obviously we're all adapting as the pandemic continues and they've got some exciting um innovative things up their sleeves so yeah well i'm excited to hear the interview so i think and i think the audience is probably as well so let's just fade into that Once again, thank you so much for joining us on District Fray Radio. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at uh, Washington Performing Arts. And yeah, just so our listeners can get to know you a little better before we jump in. Sure. And I will I will apologize uh, ahead of time. You may hear some ambient sound. I have two parrots. Oh, no worries. They, they get very excited. And so you may hear a little bit of strange oh, sounds. Oh, that's, so, well, that's <laughs> so fun. I don't think I know anybody that has parrots. That's like such a cool, a cool pet. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're very, they're very fun. And, and one of them has quite a vocabulary. So Aww, that's um, sweet. <laughs> and I'm out in the living room area. So anyway, um, so I'm Jenny Billfield. I have been uh, president and CEO of Washington Performing Arts since uh, 2013. And I'm a native New Yorker, but lived and worked in Palo Alto. I ran the performing arts series at Stanford University 
Um, so I've been, you know, in many different communities and was really excited about coming to Washington, D.C. because there is such an exceptional arts community here, um, people who make art and live in this region, um, as well as presenters of artists and performance from all over the world. I loved that there was a, a really vibrant education commitment to the arts. The, our embassy adoption program connects embassies from all over the city to our public school partners. And we have 85 partnerships, which allows students wow. to have an extraordinary um, immersive learning experience about other cultures and you know what kids their age are doing in other parts of the world. Um, our in-school programs span 100 different schools. So kids learn how to play instruments and sing and dance as part of our capital arts program. Um, that's been going on since our founding, you know, 50 years ago. And then our programming, both in um, sort of a free context as well as ticket context, brings our artists all over the city because we don't have a performance space that we manage. So we can be in different neighborhoods, different venues, indoors, outdoors, featuring local artists, visiting artists. So that's the, the complement of activity that flows through Washington Performing Arts is exciting. And then we have two gospel choirs that we've had for over 25 years. Oh, amazing. So it, it's quite different from any yeah. other uh, arts presenter in the country. And um, my interest in being here was really propelled by the unique ways that Washington Performing Arts situates itself in Washington and then collaborates both locally and nationally and regionally, as well as just the really intensive way that it expresses its values and mission within a very local context. And especially as we go forward in seeing how we collectively rebuild our local economy, the, the laser focus on local and how we get artists back to work and sustain vitality um, feels so much like it's, it's in our wheelhouse to, yeah. uh, to be a partner. Yeah, so. absolutely. I love that idea of, uh, you know, I was doing some research uh, going into this and I saw on your website, you know, you said the the city is pretty much your stage. And mm -hmm. I love that that seems to extend into schools. I was lucky enough to go to a school in Northern Virginia for elementary school that had an arts education program through the Kennedy Center. Um, and it really, uh, it was so impactful for me in ways I didn't even realize till, you know, now I'm in my mid twenties. So just imagining all the kids that get to go through something similar with that. Like I got to start violin at third grade and we did plays and I learned all these amazing things about yeah like you said other cultures and um it was just so wonderful and so that is so exciting to think about all the kids that still get to do stuff like that you know through programs it's huge. outdoors yeah and you know the other thing is it doesn't it doesn't assume that kids are going to do this professionally for the rest mm -hmm. of their lives but it does build this sense of community and confidence and experience and also it contributes to the goals of the social and emotional learning the fact that it's during the school day means that it's integral to the kids' learning. And it's certainly been a challenge to transition to this time of COVID where kids are learning from home. But the teaching artists in this region who have been involved since the very beginning have been flexible and adaptive. So that's, you know, that's just how we, we proceed. It's not about the space, but it's about the human interaction and finding ways for the, um, art form and the connection to come alive in a very different forum. 
Yeah. So have those programs, like when schools started to, uh, to, you know, close because of COVID and I know a lot of school districts are kind of reworking what their, uh, 2020, 2021 school years will look like. Um, how did that kind of affect like your, these programs? Like, were they able to come over in a digital sense or, cause I've read a lot about, you know, the awesome, uh, program programs you have to watch on like Facebook live and whatnot, but how about the, the education aspect of that? Well, you know, the, the, um, the transition, we, we had to really follow what the school district was able to do because they were addressing not just um, how to sustain the, the connection, both, you know, digitally and, and, and wrestling with the, the um, transfer to technology from in-class learning, but recognizing that a lot of kids relied upon their public libraries to have internet access and computer access, and that was off the table. So the school district really needed to make that transition right. as seamless as possible and think about all the experiences that children had in addition to learning, whether it was meals or uh, some of the other uh, support. But as schools were ready to welcome back uh, kind of the complementary program partners, we definitely were able to reinforce some of those existing connections. You know, a lot of kids left school without bringing their instruments with them. Yeah. So the sense of, oh, we'll just, you know, pick up the, the little violin or viola, that was not necessarily a guarantee. And then we have a keyboard program called DC Keys that is, again, all of these are in partnership with the DC public schools. That was really difficult to transition because kids don't have keyboards at home necessarily. So the goal was really um, upon what could be sustained, but not exactly as it was from the day they left to the moment that transitioned. I think looking at um, the new school year and the summertime in between, there's an opportunity to plan for, differently for what will be possible instead of having to make this kind of hairpin turn. But the different things that are available, you know, the um, whether it's the global learning touch points or the things that can be done at home, whether it's by DC public school kids or other people, that sense of active engagement in learning has certainly carried forward. And in fact, for our um, children of the gospel, who are young men and women aged like nine to 18 from all over the region, there's been consistent uh, connection through ear training and music theory and uh, sectionals and individual vocal coaching that's been possible there. We're trying many, many different ways yeah. of maintaining that connection and accepting that we'll just need to be flexible and nimble and some things will work better than others and we'll adapt and seek feedback from the teaching artists to do it. You know, I, th I think in, in many ways, it's not a question of transposing what it was to just this new form, but actually seeing that the digital component as an opportunity for a different type of connection and reimagining. But it's a lot of, it's a lot to process. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, and it's changing so quickly. I feel like even in the past, you know, three weeks uh, between COVID reopenings and the, the current like social justice and civil rights movements that are, are going on now, it's like every week it's it's a new thing to, to navigate as leaders in the arts world. So uh, I'm sure things, you know, if we spoke three weeks from now, things would be totally different about like navigating certain things. But I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're able to, to still, thank goodness for technology, right? Pick up on some yes. things and... 
uh, yeah, that's great. So uh, in addition to those programs, I know that you have an amazing selection of things online with your home delivery uh, section of your website, which I love that name. Um, yes. So yeah, let's just talk a little bit more about that and the different uh, things you have, the stream performances. Um, you, I noticed that speaking of education, you have stuff for people of all ages, which is I'm sure a wonderful resource for parents at home. Um, and then some really cool Facebook Live events. I know that we've uh, promoted on District Fray and uh, some of our readers have been able to tune into. So yeah, if you just want to kind of give me an overview of all of that awesome programming. Sure, absolutely, thank you. Well, you know, it, 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 one of the most interesting parts of this moment in time is that there has been a very um, sort of healthy and intimate and spontaneous reconnection of artists and audience members. And artists have been incredibly generous to stream performances from their homes, from their studios. Um, and it's, it's actually, I think, broken down some preconceived barriers that might have been barriers related to cost, barriers related to um, you know, travel and the ability to go to a performance. And you know, we've had obviously many different ways to experience the arts long before this period, but there are many artists that we might have expected to hear in a more formal setting or in a more produced context that have now been sort of um, atomized and brought to us in a much more intimate way and very often with greater um, interaction. You know, I, I realized last year that for so many, uh, so many performances that I attend, I would, not rec I would not be able to close my eyes and recognize what the artist's voice sounds like because we see them very often either highly produced or not speaking at all. We see, we hear them perform, but we don't know the cadence of their voice. Sure. Um, and that's been actually an incredibly delightful and endearing and touching part of this time is to actually hear artists speak about what they're doing to see their, the environments where they make music. But I recognize too that this is a tremendous gift for anyone who's viewing the streams from their home, unless somebody has a mechanism set up for a donation that the artists are doing this for free. We did not want to do that. We did not want to ask artists to do anything with us or for us without being compensated for the additional work that they were creating. So from the very beginning, we created a digital engagement um, focus team or DEFT, which is a subgroup of uh, members of our staff across all the different departments. And we looked at the programs in our, within our education program, our Mars Arts DC program, which has a laser focus on local artists and partnerships. Um, and then some of the artists that we've worked with who we had hoped to work with this spring, who we weren't able to work with and thought, you know, with our patrons and audience members coming from, you know, many different regions with the artists coming from all over, what could we offer that would reinforce this sort of personal connection and and focus on artists who had been, you know, deeply engaged with us. So the, the home delivery series was really put together with all of these different things in mind, not just taking things that might've been on stage, but hopefully bringing our viewers into the interior of Washington performing arts. In any given day, we might have kids working with an arts educator, making an instrument or learning about, you know, a, a style of song uh, that is culturally specific to one of the countries that they might be studying. We might also have a performance of an orchestra or a jazz singer at one of the local venues that we present in. And we might also have a Mars artist who is playing at an outdoor venue or as part of 
a festival at the Wilson Building, for example. So this is kind of a typical day of Washington performing arts. All of these different things coexist. And frankly, especially in the spring, as the education programs have gotten going, and as we have the heaviest performance time of year, that's when you would experience all these different components. So why not activate them all and bring them to our audiences? And frankly, it's been exciting for me to see that well beyond this region, we have viewers from you know, many, many places far afield. So it's even enabled us to increase the, uh, the viewership and participation of, um, of our programs. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, again, I know I mentioned like, thank goodness for the internet earlier, but it seems like yeah. I've talked to a lot of, of people, you know, since this whole thing started that said, you know, we're getting hits from like Australia and, you know, Canada and having people from all over the world engage with us. So um, that's really wonderful too. And it sounds like, you know, from what you mentioned and what we kind of talked about earlier with using kind of the city as your stage, like using the internet as your stage, like while it's a challenge for sure, um, kind of made you, I know you mentioned the word nimble earlier, kind of made you nimble to be able to move everything to this digital platform. So do you think mm -hmm. that that kind of, you know, what kind of specific uh, things were you guys already equipped to do, I guess is my question, um, because of your such a unique platform that you guys already existed in. Um, yeah, just, you know. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. We, we, had, we had basically customized some of our digital presentations mm -hmm. as, a, as a complement to main stage performances in many cases. Okay. So for example, wow. when we um, commissioned and premiered a new piece by Steve Reich at in partnership with the Library of Congress, there was a stream of that concert that was um, developed jointly between our organizations, which was several years ago. Uh, when Yo-Yo Ma did his iconic performance of the Bach cello suites at uh, Washington Cathedral, we partnered with him and many local organizations to present the stream at Union Station and to offer it out um, more broadly on uh, various other digital platforms. And we've done this very selectively um, over time, but again, as a complement to what we've done. So now that we're actually doing more of this than live performance at the moment, I don't want people to think that we're abandoning live performance. In fact, sure, we're not. Yeah. We're just, what we're trying to do is to, to continue to develop that deep connection between um, artists and patrons and partners in parallel to beginning when it's safe to do so, eventually phasing back live performance, but continuing to have this as a way of engaging more, providing greater access, and building greater exposure for our artists, because that ultimately serves, you know, all boats, all boats rise. It does mean that we're not simply, as I was saying before with education, taking something, you know, in this domain and just sort of adding cameras and, and touch points and sort of plopping it up on, right. uh, on the web. It has to be reconceived for um, different consumption habits, attention spans, capabilities. We know from the surveying we've done of our patrons, as well as some of the big national and regional surveys, that the quality of video and audio is really paramount as time mm. goes on. That as fun as it is to see where somebody lives and works, that actually having something that um, conveys the nuance and the beauty of what an artist is doing is really important, especially yeah. if there's going to be some paywall or, or threshold for financial participation. We also recognize that this is a pretty new way for us to present artists. And, um, and there's not a, um, 
this is not a cheap way to do things. I think sure, people yeah. say, oh, you know, you don't have to rent a hall, you, or you do rent a hall, but you don't have all the marketing. I'm here to disabuse anyone of that because it is <laughs> extremely expensive to yeah. do things well and to make sure that artists are paid, to make sure that the sound and the video um, work well and to um, address the issues of licensing and whether it's streaming or something that's captured and resides on a uh, website for a period of time, there is all significant cost in this. Mm -hmm. So my, my word to patrons is, you know, to continue to support the organizations they love that are doing this because there is not, it, it, it is not a, um, uh, a cost savings, but it is yeah. a greatly enhanced way to sustain connection in a time that sometimes feels impossible mm -hmm. and fraught with obstacles, but one can be determined to go around those. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of on that note, you know, how how can people support you right now during this this difficult time to continue to, you know, in the hopes that your work can continue and you can find, you know, the the most purposeful ways to put this kind of content out, you know, what can someone do if they feel inspired to to show you support? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, you know, we we created a champion fund for people who converted over their ticket purchases to contributions okay. in the spring. Um, and we're looking at a largely philanthropic model in order to sustain our organization. Because again, you know, whereas I feel I can advocate for any form of art, because mm -hmm. that is what I do and raise money for it, what I can't advocate for is anything involving, um, you know, health guidelines and phasing. Sure. And, I, and I, I believe very strongly in not propelling kind of a magical thinking. There is no date by which we have any assurance that there will be a vaccine or containment. We, we know that there are certain thresholds of percentages of you know, cases reducing treatments and whatnot with the, with the curve. But I can't say in good faith to our patrons that sure, by January 1st, we should be in this. I don't mm -hmm. have that information. So by supporting Washington Performing Arts and enabling us to look at a digital presentation where we work with the artist purely within um, the context of digital or begin to phase things back, that is the best way for us to continue our work and not be as reliant upon the in-person experience, but to be able to phase it back when health professionals and local jurisdictions provide that guidance. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of, you know, on that note, I know that um, your 2020-2021 season will be announced on Monday. Is that Correct on the fifteenth. Well, so what? What the way we're describing this is as mm -hmm. um, unveiling the contours of our programming. Okay, um, I like that. We're, we're actually training ourselves not to describe it as a season because okay. I don't want it to invite comparison with what people know as mm -hmm. a season because it is being conceived um, differently, and and I say contours not as anything more than. Um, not to be coy, but to acknowledge that there is a great deal that will still evolve in yeah. terms of how we will um, deliver and continue to provide detail around what we're doing. And, and truly, we're seeking to be as transparent as possible. You know, right. I, I want to be able to share the firm footing that we're um, proceeding with as opposed to drawing pictures and then pulling back and changing and shifting because I want our patrons to have confidence in us and I want to be able to provide our artists with confidence in what we're asking them to do and what and the ways in which we will um, partner with them. And for me, that's been one of the most 
important components of this is to proceed um, firmly and steadily mm. with what we know we're going to be able to do with all the creativity, but with a measure of um, a real um, firm footing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. I, I like the way that you uh, described it and, uh, you know, acknowledging the fluidity. And I know that that can be kind of a, I mean, I mean, even for us at the magazine, uh, re- you know, we started the podcast and we're doing a lot more on social and it was thinking realistically about what can we do, uh, what can we accomplish as a small team that's all working from home, um, you know, still stay true to our mission, but also, you know, be like, hey, things are really different now and they might not go back to the way that they were, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, um, you exactly. know, I think there are going to be a lot of, uh, you know, things that come out of this that maybe have changed, you know, communities, especially, you know, collaborate in a collaborative sense for the better. So um, I love that, that acknowledgement of it. Um, And I know you can't say uh, too much about it, but, um, you know, I would imagine to somebody in your role, planning for something like this, it seems just like a huge, huge task to accomplish, you know, not knowing, like you said, about when things are going to reopen, and if there's going to be a vaccine, and you can't give a concrete date. So how did you and your team kind of uh, attack going about planning this unique new, um, new programming and new world that you guys have at Washington Performing Arts? Because it seems just like a very large task, and it's very impressive, you know, knowing that that's coming down the pike, and, and you have a lot to look forward to. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I appreciate your, your asking and recognizing that, because you know, as we were completely um, sort of rethinking and recalibrating our season, because we hadn't announced it yet, and we don't have a venue, so that gives us a certain amount of, of flexibility. Sure. You know, I, I want to recognize that people were also dealing with a lot of, you know, personal change, trauma, just the huge changes. They had family members who were deeply affected by the, um, the crisis and the virus. Mm-hmm. People, so and you know a real shout out to the Washington Performing Arts team everyone who managed to make some of these um, enormous transitions as well as plan for the future um, in a really solid way and I think to your point about um, the new way of doing things you know once we were able to move beyond the realization that things are going to be different there's a um, there's a moment where where you have to you have to make a change from thinking about what has been lost mm-hmm. to what is still possible and and to move with what is possible instead of saying well if it had been x then it would have been so very quickly we started working with what is possible what is known what is safe and frankly um as a smaller organization being real realistic about what um what our mission and vision are and how they can be executed, even if differently. So, you know, you've um, uh, quoted this this phrase that I've used: "The city is our stage." That's become uh, that we've been internalized and used as an organization. Well, digital is also a stage, and it doesn't. The, the packaging may be different, mm-hmm. but the um, but the mission is still vibrant, even if it's in a slightly different package. And that, for me, was a kind of a non-negotiable, like the mission to um, engage, to present artists, to build these partnerships, to look locally, like all of those things could happen in a very different package. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're really good at building partnerships and collaborations. It's something that is a core competency of Washington Performing Arts mm-hmm. and has been a priority certainly for, for years. 
um, that's something that we're relying upon and going back to in this new era. So we want to be in the spaces we've used, but we can exist in many, many different ways mm -hmm. um, in addition to that. And beginning to shift our mindset over a period of time. Um, and frankly, uh, the conversations that we've had with artists um, have been really different. Artists and their managers, very different conversations about yeah. what their program might look like, um, the scale of it might look like. Um, some artists at the very beginning were deeply traumatized at the possibility of thinking that that what they have always done and are known for would look so differently. And we know mm -hmm. that artists have been um, just, I mean, the, the devastation for freelance artists has been catastrophic oh, and yeah, worldwide. Absolutely. Some take that up as like, okay, I'm going to reinvent, I'm going to do something different. And others are are shut down. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's on a different part of the continuum. So we needed to, to have multiple conversations with artists, with managers, to check in, to see where they were, to accept that some artists will want to wait to a future year mm -hmm. to return because they see themselves in one particular um, context right. and aren't adaptable. And others are kind of dipping their toes in and others are like embracing. Mm -hmm you know, full body. And yet others are interested in, in completely rethinking the programs that they might have done in the wake of so much um, social and health and political um, upheaval. So I want us to be the organization that continues to be known as a partner for artists and to be able to say to our audiences, you know what, the times necessitate many different new considerations, but our artists are evolving as well. So if you'll extend them the grace of um, transforming how they come to you and perhaps what they bring to you, let us be that part, that partner that helps make the connection instead of rigidly saying, well, it was this, it has to be here, it has to be that, yeah. unchanged. I want us to be the partner that artists come to at a moment where they want to be vulnerable, to experiment, to do their best work, um, to be bold and brave, and then to the patrons to invite them to come along with us on the journey, just as they have discovered, you know, new artists and new sounds and new projects in the past, um, to come with us as we explore some new territory. Yeah, and that's, that's very important. Definitely, and uh, you know, the the performing arts and all capacities are are such a beautiful opportunity to, I think, be flexible and to show showcase different, you know, thought processes and, and, you know, mindsets and things like that. So the fact that you are understanding and giving these artists, you know, the space to kind of um, think through what their future might look like, uh, I think is, you know, super impactful and kind of goes back to that idea of, you know, the I know we keep mentioning the the city being your stage, but also, uh, you know, having that, holding that kind of space for artists to be who they need to be and, and kind of figure that out and be flexible. Um, so, I mean, I, I am just thinking about all of the, you know, the wonderful, impactful, beautiful art that's probably going to come out of this time period, uh, though, as you mentioned, it's marked with a lot of pain and, and suffering and, and, you know, hard things going on in the world. Um, I feel like, you know, the arts are something that as uh, humans, we always come back to, to express, you know, ourselves yeah. or to take comfort in. So knowing that yeah. you're going to play a part in that, um, 
is, is really wonderful. So like on a personal level, um, also how does, you know, knowing that you're enabling these spaces kind of feel and what challenges have you personally overcome and how are you kind of staying sane during all this? I'm so always so curious to hear from people, you know, if they've picked up a new hobby or adopted a new pet or something like that. So I know that's kind of like a multiple pronged question, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I mean, candidly, um, I, I thrive and draw a lot of um, inspiration from challenges that mm. need to be overcome. Mm -hmm. And my determination to not yield to what might seem impossible, but to figure out solutions is just at kind of a heightened level of um, intensity. And I, I found this, you know, living in New York during 9-11, mm. running wow. uh, a music publisher and seeing many different emotional and structural responses to the devastation. You know, do you create places of joy? Do you create places of repose and solace? My response is very often follow the arts and follow the artist, mm. because art, artists have provided so many nuanced portals into experiences that we we need to provide a platform for. So I, I find that these moments I want to connect more to artists and, and to encourage a sense of urgency of response around what, what they want to do, what our partners need to do. You know, I've had, you know, incredible, like, highs and lows through this. The, the yeah. emotional roller coaster is, you know, not to be um, underestimated because there are a group of people who work at Washington Performing Arts who are giving their all. I want to, um, and I strive to give them the clearest direction possible while I'm moving at 100 miles an hour as well. And, you know, honestly, to extend grace to everyone, people are, um, I'm finding with, with colleagues in our, uh, in our community, some are positive, some are more recessed, some are um, very reactive. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we have to just assume everybody is going through something that um, we know very little about. Right. And to yeah. cut each other a lot more slack if we don't hear back or we hear something where there's a certain rawness to it, um, or even the expressions of outreach, the reassurance to know that, you know, a counterpart at one, at one organization needs the reassurance that we're experiencing the same thing. So not to be the sort of, oh, everything's fine, because I think right. that's BS. We are all yeah. managing through something that's, it's like swimming underwater. You, you, you know, you can see, a little, you have a little bit of visibility, like in the Atlantic Ocean, but then you see this murk, you know that there's something out there, you can't quite see it. Yeah. And you proceed with that knowledge, but, um, you know, maybe it's, it's not the best metaphor, but I think we, we have oh, to. Oh, that makes sense. To yeah. Recognize and not just be the, um, the outliers when we feel vulnerable. We're mm -hmm. figuring this out. We're sharing with, especially within DC, the arts community has come together um, more strongly than it ever has. The communication is fluid and supportive. So, you know, I see the indications that um, a healthier, more transparent way of working um, is is coming out of this. So yeah. I want to work. I want to work with that. Um, but yeah, it is. It's a roller coaster ride. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, are you feeling? You must be feeling that. I mean, oh, absolutely, a hundred percent. I was, you know, devastated when the whole thing, you know, first happened, and just, you know, I 
a lot of older family members and was mostly just concerned about their health. And then I was like, oh my gosh, my job and everything I cover is I have to, you know, go to performances, go to concerts, like typically something like this, let's say if we were doing it for, you know, not for the podcast and for digital or print, you know, we would hopefully do it in person. And I love to be able to connect with people in real life. And so to have that kind of, yeah, you know, taken away, um, it, it felt really, and so quickly it felt so, um, so aggressive and, and hard to deal with. Yeah. But, you know, as you mentioned, just taking it day by day. And, and I think the more honest, you know, my coworkers and I have been and fellow interviewees, you know, everyone is kind of dealing with it in their own way. So yeah, I think acknowledging that, yeah, this is a really hard time and let's just be honest with that, with each other about that and give each other space to, you know, whether you're mourning for the health and safety of a family member or you're mourning like what your life looked like in the past, that's all valid. Um, so yeah, I think especially as we, we start to kind of, uh, see very, very small increments of the fog lift with like the reopenings and businesses having to make the tough decisions of, am I going to actually reopen or am I going to wait till I feel secure, you know, being, uh, just respectful of people's decisions. Yeah. It's just, it's a tough, it's a tough world out there right now, but I hope that it, uh, teaches people empathy and understanding. Cause I think our world needs definitely more of that for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And um, speaking of, you know, things going on in the world right now, I know that you uh, and other leaders at Washington Performing Arts released a statement about, you know, the, um, the murder of George Floyd and kind of the, the sentiments, you know, going on around that about, um, you know, racism bubbling up and white supremacy as it still exists in America. So I'm so curious as a leader in the art space and, and reading that statement and the resources that you guys provided, which were um, wonderful. I love that you had that in there and that there's so, so many things on the internet that everyone um, can, you know, read and, and find out how to be a part of this movement and make a change, whether that's actually going out to protest or donating what you can or just reading and educating friends and family. What space does the arts play in anti-racism work and, and helping that, you know, go forward and, and making a change in, in the ways people think and in their hearts with, when it comes to situations like this? Because it feels like there's a huge part that the arts do play. Yeah, and I, I think the arts have always played, mm -hmm. uh, have had a significant role. So I, I guess I have a couple responses to that. I mean, the, the desire of an artist, an art maker, to respond is deeply personal. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that, you know, in, in many cases, artists are choosing to respond or to focus their efforts in other in ways that are other than their artistic practice. Sure. Um, so I, and I, and I certainly found this around 9-11, there were a lot of artists who um, responded in different ways. There were people who created work opportunistically because they thought that, you know, everyone would be surging towards that. And so mm -hmm. I, I really leave it to artists to decide how they want to show up um, within their creative practice and show up authentically within that as opposed to orchestrating that. But as an arts organization, and this is something that we started looking at um, with sort of refreshed intensity a few years ago, but it's always been part of Washington Performing Arts um, history is, is where we could continue to develop and grow in terms of our um, vision and expression of equity, whether it was in the RFPs we sent out for um, vendors, for investment advisors, banks, and so on, um, our approaches to staffing at every different level of the organization, to looking at the way we uh, programmed to make mm -hmm. sure that we um, were providing opportunities for artists across many genres 
of different backgrounds to show up, that we weren't defaulting to sort of predictable buckets for representation, right. but really challenging ourselves to learn more about artists that we, or to go to people who knew more than we did so that we could be as um, uh, representative of excellence across the board. Um, we looked at the language that we've used. You know, a lot of um, grant applications have very highly guided language mm -hmm. that require um, characterization of certain communities that um, doesn't celebrate their art, but in mm -hmm. fact underscores their marginalization. Wow. So participating in conversations with funders about how we characterize our programs, how we serve um, art, and engage new communities, that was vitally important. Um, so whether it was our main stage programs, our Mars Arts DC programs, our um, arts education programs, we looked across the band there and continue every year to assess how um, artists are showing up in our programs. Um, we also challenged ourselves to read and connect uh, and have conversations about race and mm -hmm. white supremacy and blind spots and structural racism, um, both sort of uh, scaffolded with a facilitator. And then on our own, we have a, a staff equity task force. We have a board equity committee. Um, and there have been some difficult conversations. Yeah. But what I have to say, though, is that for people who were uncomfortable or reluctant or skeptical at the beginning of a conversation, with additional touch points, grace, education, resources, and time, I have seen remarkable awakenings of awareness and sensitivity because we trusted that people who care and who are supported in their journey will continue to support each other mm -hmm. and evolve in various ways. This is a lot of work. This is not when somebody says something that strikes you as um, tone deaf, you know, they get kicked off the island. This is about a conversation to say, well, have you thought about it from this perspective? Yeah. This resource was helpful to me um, as a leader. When I, I have to say a couple of years ago, when I um, talked to our board about um, racism and white supremacist society you know i stood in front of a board meeting with 40 people there this is probably three and a half years ago um i literally felt my blood run cold because i thought this is i'm doing this not individually but in a board meeting and i because i wanted to talk about the steps that we were taking as a staff mm -hmm. to address this and to acknowledge these um uh embedded habits institutionally not within i mean in, within the arts and to say, you know, we, we have always been committed to this, but are, how are we best living our founders ethos of everybody and nobody out? And I could see the room, you know, looking at a, a room of people, some people leaned in mm -hmm. and were nodding their heads and other people leaned back and sort of looked at mm -hmm. me askew. There were a lot of side conversations, you know, what do you mean about this? It isn't about the Ku Klux Klan. It was, you know, all these things came out and others were like, yes, I'm glad we're finally talking about it out loud. Every variety of response. But even with people who might've been reluctant or skeptical, they came back. Mm -hmm. They wanted the resources, they wanted the conversation. They challenged me to answer questions. You know, is this about, you know, 
leaving people aside. No, it's about putting another leaf in the table and making it bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, without their personal investment, I would not have heard their reluctance without their trust. I wouldn't have heard them. They would have just ignored it and said, I'm out, forget mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. um, but they came back and they asked questions and they pushed and we spoke and I enlisted um, you know, other volunteers from board staff to, to speak with um, board members, staff, volunteers, so that we could begin to form a common language. We have one of the most remarkable boards I have ever seen. And our board members joined our organization because of the founding principles. And they know the history of Todd Duncan being the founding chair in 1966, mm -hmm. the, the amazing African-American opera singer who originated the role of Porgy and Porgy and Bess. Like, yeah. you come to Washington Performing Arts, you know that this is part of our history, but you can't lean back on your history. And the remarkable board has continued to support the staff's efforts to grow and intensify this work and to back it up with action, not just, yeah. yes, we, 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 we deplore hate. Nobody, everybody thinks hate is bad. Yeah. We, yeah. or should, but what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. What are the ways that we have, we continue to address it and what are the structures that we put into place to question ourselves and to challenge ourselves and to refresh ourselves? Um, so that, that for me feels like being a good broker. You know, mm -hmm. if I'll tell you what I think, but then I want to show you what I'm looking at and I want to show you what I've done. And when you bring something to light, I want to be able to respond to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm and glad that the foundations of it are built into the organization, though, because that's really helpful to me yes. to be able to say, you know what, the mission of our founder actually has created a longevity of commitment to this, mm -hmm. and this is how we express it and fulfill it now. Yeah, and like you mentioned, it really is, you know, it's not like, oh, okay, I read, you know, uh, one of the many wonderful books about, you know, anti-racism work that's going around, like, I'm done. <laughs> like, it's an ongoing, lifelong commitment to um, understanding uh, these types of things. And, and it sounds like, you know, as you mentioned, it being built into, you know, your community and to your organization that it's it's started a really good foundation, but definitely, you know, you have to keep that conversation, especially in an area as diverse as DC and with so many, you know, we have so many wonderful, talented artists of so many races and sexualities and gender presentations and the world is changing so much. And it's, uh, you know, the, I think the more that like the arts always growing up, I, I was like, I can always connect with somebody who thinks like me or looks like me or, or, you know, what's it, what's it like to not see somebody who looks like me in the arts? Like I can't imagine, you know, struggling with that kind of uh, representation. And so, you know, knowing that people are out there having these tough conversations and holding each other accountable, um, you know, as much as tragic as the events that led up to having these conversations more intensely. I know you mentioned you've been having them for a while as have, I think a lot of organizations, hopefully, hopefully, um, but uh, yeah. it's, it's great that, you know, people are intensifying their commitment to, you know, to calling out white supremacy and doing this anti-racism work, especially in a visual space like you guys are in. Well, you know, and, and I'll share with you a, a moment from um, actually two years ago, our Children of the Gospel mm -hmm. um, had a, a, a end of season performance in June of, um, of 2018. And they, with the directors, crafted the theme for the, for the program. It was Stay Woke, Still Woke. And they wrote some of the narrative. They did some of the artwork. They did some of the choreography. Different kids who played different instruments um, had different roles. 
And one of the things they wanted to do was also recognize um, a, a Black American hero. And, mm -hmm. and we, we have frequently worked with Cora Masters Barry's, of course, Cora Masters Barry's um, Blacks and Wax organization, mm -hmm. which is this remarkable sort of collection of uh, storytelling and profiles of important figures in Black history, Black American history, who were brought to life through children, through monologues and period costumes and visitors have a chance, whether it's been at the Kennedy Center or the Ark, other places, visitors have a chance to learn about figures in history through the words of kids who have studied and who are doing these, these mm -hmm. monologues. So Mrs. Barry recommended a couple of different characters where the kids in her, the students in her program were prepared to bring them to life for our performance. And we turned over the possibilities to our children of the gospel and said, okay, mm -hmm. here are the different characters that Blacks and Wax are ready to roll with. Um, who is of greatest interest? And the students chose Colin Kaepernick oh, as wow. one of the characters. Yeah. And I thought, okay, like they're going for it. Let's do it. So we didn't advertise anything ahead of time mm -hmm. about this. I wanted it to be a surprise for the audience. And it was at um, Lisner at GW. Mm -hmm. And it was towards the, the second half of the program. And I sat, I stood in the back just to observe people. And the uh, young man who was impersonating Colin Kaepernick came out, delivered this monologue that was searing, and then took a knee. And it was another moment where my hands sweat. I thought, please, you know, I, I hope that our audience will respond as I expect them to respond. And there was this moment of quiet. And then there was unbelievable cheering. And I thought at that moment, you know, there is so much more possible when you get out of the way and let things happen and provide the, the, um, the environment for this sort of connection. The students made the decision. We supported the students, whatever their decision was. It happened. The audience was with us. And you know, one of the biggest mistakes we can make is underestimate our audience, right? Mm -hmm. So at that moment, um, it was and it was a it was a very um, diverse audience because our gospel programs uh, draw a really wide representation of our mm -hmm. community. So you know, I like to think about those moments as uh, as indicative of what is possible, yeah. and the partnerships fortify us in those decisions. Yeah, that's so beautiful and also so wonderful that, you know, children are able to make these kinds of decisions and pick like a modern day, you know, I know acknowledging all sorts of history is important, but to have like a modern day hero to a lot of people and be able to incorporate um, him and his work and everything he, you know, stood up for and lost in the process um, is so impactful. And I'm so that's very heartening to hear that it was, uh, you know, received well by by the audience and must have been such an amazing moment for all the children in the production too, to, yeah. to be able to be a part of that and witness that so yeah that's that's wonderful and I definitely think you know better things are are 100% possible we're seeing it happen right now in response to a lot of the the activism and protest that people have been doing for years um, including people like Colin Kaepernick so um, I love that that's being reflected in the arts too and and all the work that you know you are doing in that space as well to encourage it so thank you and you too yeah thank we need you. Our, we need our great writers and journalists <laughs> to make Thanks. sure that people are accountable 
Yeah. Um, and that the real news gets out. So yeah, never... it's, a, it's a tough world out there to be in the media right now. Yes. Oh, even in, but even in, you know, it, it, when I first started uh, at, formerly on tap, now District Frey, um, you know, it was realizing the kind of uh, the impact that even, you know, arts journalism and, and I primi primarily was writing about, you know, music and performing arts and things like that. Um, just like telling other people's stories, even if you're not like, oh, this is, you know, a hard news thing happening in the street is also, you know, important. So I feel lucky that I get to, you know, have these kinds of conversations every day and encourage other people to hopefully have conversations in turn. So yeah, definitely, definitely lucky that I could continue all this through the, through the pandemic too, but yeah, so that was about everything I, um, you know, had on my list of things to discuss. Is there anything that we didn't chat about that you wanted to to mention? Any upcoming programming? I know that you're going to be speaking to Kelsey Cochran, I believe, our staff writer, about the um, upcoming programming. So uh, we'll super, yes. uh, definitely plug that. Super looking forward to having that on the website as well. And, you know, got a little sneak preview, I think, here about how you're kind of reworking it and rethinking it. So that'll be great to for our readers to have this conversation in context of the um, the article about you know, the new programming. So, but yeah, anything else um, that you wanted to mention that we didn't chat about? No, I think, you know, you, you've covered, <coughs> excuse me, you, you've covered, um, you know, so many areas of what we're, so many aspects of what we're thinking about and doing. I'm, I'm really grateful for the scope of the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking this time. And um, yeah, again, for District Fair Radio, we've had Jenny Billfield on, president and CEO for this lovely conversation. Um, any social media or website plugs? I know that you guys can be reached at Washington Performing Arts um, on I know on Facebook, you have a lot of wonderful live events and then WashingtonPerformingArts.org, you have that lovely landing page for a ton of yep. more digital programming. And we will probably be plugging a few events coming up here. I know Camille emailed me um, something that's going on in a few weeks here, one of the live events. So look out for that on social media to be plugged. Um, do a nice little Instagram story about it to remind you to tune in. Um, but yeah, any, any other, any, anywhere people can follow you guys on social or anywhere people can follow you or any other, oh, we're, we're, you know, it's Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, we're, we're everywhere and, uh, and increasingly so. Awesome. So thank you for this. And we're back. MK, that was a great interview. Thank you. Um, but before we go, I do want to run down uh, with your quarantine social club, which is back after a week uh, a week long absence. Yeah, we took a took a little break so I could uh, focus some time on putting together resources and um, places to donate and local black owned businesses, which is still live and being updated um, on our website. So we did that um, in lieu of quarantine social club last week. Um, but this week, we do have some fun events. Uh, this uh, Today, we have the Friday Nights from Home concert series, which is typically um, a super fun event that uh, District Frey and DC Frey put on with the Capitol Riverfront bid. Obviously, you know, not happening in person, but they've adapted it to um, be able to take place virtually. It'll feature lots of awesome local artists. I believe uh, today is with Justin Trawick. And then also, if you want to, you know, make a little picnic, have a little party in your own backyard, whatever, um, they've partnered with a lot of local businesses. So you can grab some bonchon or um, pizza from Wise Guys, and you'll get a 10% discount for pickup if you order between five and eight. So nice little added bonus to kind of, uh, you know, make it a little bit more fun than just watching a concert on screen, even though I'm sure it will be wonderful. 
Um, and then another event that I'm really looking forward to is Yoga District is doing an event called Pride and Peace Meditations on Activism. Um, obviously, there's a lot of activism going on right now with Black Lives Matter and with it being Pride Month. Um, so instructors will be talking about how activism and yoga philosophy really go hand in hand. Um, you'll learn three different types of meditation and learn how to, you know, kind of put these in action on behalf of the communities that really need it right now and also on behalf of yourself if you're doing that activism work. It's important to, you know, practice self-care too. And it is a donation-based class and all the proceeds will go to Whitman Walker Health. So a lot of really awesome benefits all in one for a nice relaxing Sunday. And yeah, I linked our Black Lives Matter um, resource list in there again. Um, another really cool thing if you're looking for something to watch this weekend, Criterion Collection uh, lifted its paywall from a lot of um, awesome black films. So a great way to you know find some entertainment and also you know expand your horizons and learn important stories and engage with you know black art in all forms. So. Yeah, you can check that out on our website. Awesome. And I know you mentioned some DC Fray events, but they also have a drag bingo this weekend. Oh, yeah, drag bingo. Which is a huge thing. And, and again, if you're looking for something to do, uh, whether it be interactive or with your friends or to meet new people, check out dcfray.com. They have a great a variety of events, such as bingo, like we mentioned. And they also do things like trivia, and they do things like interactive yoga. So... Check them out. They are always doing awesome, fun things. Yeah, for sure. Lots of no reason to be bored at home, even though things are starting to open back up. Still lots of stuff to do if you're staying inside and, you know, want to continue social distancing as we all should. That's true. We should, uh, uh, you know, within reason, I guess, right? With everything, like you said, kind of opening up. If, if there are things you can do safely, then uh, who am I to stop you? <laughs> yep. Um, with that being said, MK, where can the people find you on social media? Follow me on Instagram at MKKOSZYCKI and on Twitter at ShutUpMK. You can find me at Trent S. Johnson on Instagram and Twitter. And you can read both of our words at districtfray.com. Um, with that being said, I think we have covered it. MK, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Uh, if you're going out protesting, stay safe, stay hydrated, social distance, wear a mask, and um, yeah, just have a great weekend, everybody. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Everybody.